exhausted. I just started talking yet. Um, I do Oh, yeah. Woo! <laughs> okay. Um, now, how's school going? Okay. For those who don't know me, um, maybe we're getting too personal too fast. Is that what's going on? I'm Sid Drew, and I'm the campus minister for RUF, Reform University Fellowship. That's what we're doing here. Uh, RUF is a Christian campus ministry that exists uh, to serve New Mexico State. And let me tell you a little bit about RUF. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, for the believer and the unbeliever, for the excited and the meh. <laughs> for those who are still bored from the summer, and those of you who are still tired from the summer. And RUF exists for those of you who are mostly here because your mom told you to come, and those of you who are mostly here because your mom told you not to come. So, in other words, wherever you are and whoever you are, thanks for coming. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, we hope that you get to know us at RUF and that RUF gets to know you if you're new. If you've been around a while, make an effort to talk to somebody who's new to you. Uh, maybe get beyond the major question and where you're from and dive in. Uh, you know, ask something like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite album? Uh, and we can make this really forced, and then we can have like a ring for speed, speed dating. Uh, that's really great. No, just get to know somebody, love them well. Um, and if you're new, hey, thanks so much for coming. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, we know it's sometimes tough to go into a new room and a new environment. Um, and I hope that you feel welcomed and enjoy your time with us. All right, let's talk. Uh, Sign-up sheet, can you start passing that around? Uh, we are not stalking you, I promise. This is just, you don't have to fill this in. If you've done this in the past, please don't do it again. Um, but basically, we're uh, trying to get people involved and trying to get people to know what's going on. And we send out emails, updates about events and large group. And Like if you missed the free Kalichis last night, that might have been a good idea to sign up for. So we do fun things like that all the time. Uh, also, we have a Facebook group, MS, NMSU RUF. You can look it up and find it pretty easily. Uh, it's pretty non-intrusive as those things go, so please do that. Um, just who's wearing a t-shirt? I saw Tessie, can you stand for a second? <laughs> ah, look at this, people. Can you do a spin for us? Okay. So, um, that's an amazing t-shirt, $12. Uh, that is at cost. We're not making money after this. In fact, we're losing money after this. So um, come get your t-shirt. Three-quarter length sleeve is not cheap. That's a lot of extra fabric. You see that? So, I mean, some people do tank tops. I've heard of you know plenty of people do tank tops. But we said no. In, 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 the, in the recession, we're going to go big or go home. So here we are. Three-quarter length sleeves. Next year, long sleeves. Um, look, I know that... Uh, Take a look at your bulletin on the back of it. You get this, it's kind of overwhelming, so um, if you need to close your eyes and sort of stick your finger somewhere on it, pick one or two things that you're interested in doing this week. Um, maybe it's a Bible study that we talked about. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's the Hatch Chili Fest. Uh, and also, I, let's not forget Fridays with Chelsea. Um, <laughs> that's our colleague, you Lunch and Recess. Does anyone know Tuesdays with Maury? Okay, it's less depressing than that. Okay. <laughs> but maybe justice might affirm it. So, I'm not going to, you know, Chelsea, we're going to work on this in the meantime. Little quotables, right? <laughs> okay. Um, finally, the, if you look at the back of your bullets, in the very end is um, a couple of announcements about churches. Uh, RDF is not the local church. 
Uh, we don't meet on Sundays. Um, I know um, we're actually an extension or a mission of the church on campus. We're here to serve you all where you live. Um, but So I want you to go out and check out a church. These are just two good churches that I know of and RUF loves and that love RUF well. Uh, that doesn't mean that everyone RUF goes to those churches, okay, but it's just a couple that you can check out. Um, some of you are maybe silently thinking, well, so this isn't a church. This feels awfully churchy. <laughs> I don't know about this, Druin. Um, and I'm going to say yes, okay? Yeah, it feels churchy this far, and maybe even more so in a few minutes when I read the Bible and talk about it, okay? It's churchy. But I really want you to understand, when you graduate New Mexico State University, RUF will not be down the hall from your cubicle, okay? It will not be across the street next to the Starbucks that's omnipresent, that's everywhere. Uh, no matter where you are, there's a Starbucks. But the, we will not be a church next to that, okay? We're not a church. We're here to serve this campus. Um, and so we really desire for us, all of us, to rub shoulders with people who are in our age and learn to enjoy them, like little kids and older people. Um, and we also want to learn what Jesus loves. And we all know it's, it's well-tested, time-proof fact that Jesus loves baptisms. He loves elders. And he loves casseroles. So we need to check out... Sundays uh, for church, okay? That'd be my recommendation. All right. So, what are we doing here if the church does that? Um, we are actually talking about the Bible uh, in this particular instance. We're in this semester in large group, what you're doing here. I'm going to work through the I Am statements of Jesus. Are we familiar with the I Ams? Okay, this is where Jesus kind of, he's in the middle of the Gospel of John, right? This is mostly in John's book, the, uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and John the Apostle is following him around the Middle East with a bunch of other people. And Jesus turns to them at times and says, I am uh, the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am um, the vine. And so on. There's lots of different I am statements. So we're going to look at those. And it's a way in which we're going to work through the Gospel of John. Okay, so we'll start next week at John 1, chapter 1, and we'll work our way through a lot of John. Okay, John is a long, it's 21 chapters or dense chapters. We'll do the best we can. We've got a semester, okay? But we're going to look at IMs. So here's the working title of our, our study this semester. Are we ready? It's so clever. Just brace yourselves. I am defines who I am. Watch out! Did you miss that? Okay. Um, I am defines who I am. Look, and really, I know it's not that clever. What we're trying to capture is this. Knowing Jesus, the I am, changes the way that we understand who we are. Knowing Jesus, the I am, changes the way that we understand who we are. Uh, in fact, knowing Jesus transforms uh, who we are, not just our minds, everything about us. That's the whole idea that we're going to talk about. So I hope uh, in this time together that you will give uh, Jesus the benefit of the doubt that Maybe you're not so, so sold on what we're doing here. Maybe you're here and you think, man, my roommate really chipped me. He owes me or she owes me big time. Um, I want you to give the benefit of the doubt, suspend your disbelief. Maybe you grew up in the church and this is what you do all the time. I still would love us to suspend our disbelief and extend charity and not suspicion in our times together. Okay, That's important uh, because we live in a culture where if you stop ten different people on the street, they will give you ten different answers to who Jesus is. Do you get that? Like, it's just the reality. And so, we need to allow Jesus to define himself. That's what we're going to do tonight. That's what we're going to do for the rest of the semester. And through reading and discussing the I Am statements of Jesus, I think you're also going to allow Jesus, I hope we can allow Jesus to prove his trustworthiness. 
But the only way to let Jesus prove that he's trustworthy, the only way for, we, for us to trust him, is to actually go ahead and trust him. I know this makes no sense, so let me give you a quotation by Ernest Hemingway to clarify everything. Okay? <laughs> he's a writer, as you might have guessed, Ernest Hemingway. Okay? He says the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust him. Okay? <laughs> the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust him. So my invitation to all of us tonight in the rest of the semester is to go take that scary but true step of trusting Jesus. Okay? Taking him at his word, and let's go from there. Let's talk about it. I'm free to talk. There's lots of people in our that are free to talk. This is an honest, open environment where I hope you feel like you can be in process with that, uh, no matter where you are. Okay? All right, let's plunge right in and look, take a look at Jesus. Uh, for the first week, we're actually not going to start the Gospel of John. I know this is super confusing. Okay? <laughs> So we're not going to be in the back of the Bible with John. We're actually going to go to the front of the Bible to Exodus. Okay? I know. Ooh. Exodus. Okay? So we're going to look at the front of the Bible. It's also on your green bulletin. That's where the passage is. Uh, and we're going to walk through the Gospel of John for the rest of the semester. But tonight I'd like to look at a story, a particular story that helps us understand what it means when Jesus says, I am blank. Okay? He's not just saying, like, uh, I am good, I'm healthy, I'm happy. Okay, he's saying the I am is not just sort of describing a subject and a verb, it's actually describing something bigger. Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, and this, this, hopefully this will be helpful. So, if you're not there already, start turning to Exodus chapter 3 if you have a Bible. If you don't, just look at the inside right hand of your blue, of your green uh, flyer thing. And we're going to go ahead and eat our Exodus Wheaties. Okay, that's, those are the words of Jen, our intern. She said, I told her we're, we're preaching on Exodus the first week. She goes, all right, Exodus Wheaties, right off. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and eat the breakfast of champions. So if you turn there, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Okay, those of you who are thumbing through the Bible, it's the second book of the Bible after Genesis and before Leviticus. Okay, I'm reading the English Standard Version. It's in your bulletin. I'm going to stand for the reading of Scripture. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses... Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, The Lord said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, That is Moses, oh, excuse me, the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to the Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. By the way, time out. 
the Mott is Mount Sinai, and so later on in Exodus, when, they, when he gives the Ten Commandments, he's coming back and fulfilling that vow. Anyway, back to the passage. Okay. <laughs> Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. Friends, these are the words of the Lord. They are more precious than gold, even much fine gold. And they are sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb. Would you pray with me? Father, um, I'm so thankful for this time to get together and to, and to sit at your feet, um, to sit at your word, um, to, to listen. And I pray, Father, that you'd help me to listen. I pray that you'd help me to get over myself. Uh, I pray that you, Jesus, would be more beautiful and more believable than I can ever dare imagine. And I pray that that would be for all of us, that you would open the eyes of our heart, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit, and that, Father, you'd help us um, with our dumb, tired tongues to praise your name. Father, you've got to do all this stuff. Um, we need you. And Jesus, we're counting on you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Can you be seated? All right. So there's a singer-songwriter that I really like named David Wilcox. And he has these really great song intros in his live album. And this is one of them. Um, he starts to describe why bad directions and shopping really, really bug him. Okay. He kind of goes, what is it about shopping and directions? It's almost like he's thinking out loud during the whole sequence. Um, but it's sort of, he starts with the, the average experience of getting bad directions. That's where he starts. He says, there I am trying to find my way to some club. And somebody has told me, oh, you just go on such and such a road until you hit this landmark, right? And the landmark is something extremely ridiculous, maybe like a huge blue poodle, okay? And so they say something like, you can't miss it, it's a giant blue poodle, it's on your right, you take a right at the blue poodle, and you'll make it to the, to the club. Meanwhile, Wilcox is thinking to himself, I've been driving and driving and driving, and I've only got this one crazy landmark to go on. Why ever get there? What if I've missed the giant blue poodle? They said you can't miss it. But anytime anyone says that, that's the kiss of death. Right? And so his mind kind of goes a little bit crazy, right? He kind of goes, what if I'm driving into oblivion? And I'll just drive for the rest of my life, and I'll just sit here with the steering wheel between my hands, and just constantly drive, and then I'll, I'll get old on the road. And these kind of, and you know, obviously this is a little bit crazy, but the, kind, the reason for these, the kind of directions bug Wilcox is not because he's worried about being late. It's not because... He's worried about getting to the actual gig. He's going to make it to the concert. He's, maybe he's going to miss his sound check, but that's not the issue. The reason that bad directions bug David Wilcox is because they're too much like life. Okay? And he gives an example that all of us can relate to. He remembers asking it as a kid, like when you're a kid and asking grown-ups, do you remember this question? How do you know when it's true love? Okay? Maybe some of you didn't ask that question. Um, maybe not. Maybe you just knew better. Um, you know, this is, what they always, this is what they always say when you ask, how do you know it's true love? They say, well, you'll know. You'll know. 
And that just really, really frustrates David Wilcox. He goes, that's like saying you can't miss it. That's the kiss of death. Like, what if I do? Just imagine, you're 96 years old, you're, you're sipping on strained peas in a stained cardigan. Okay? You have no teeth. Okay? And you're muttering to yourself, no, 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 I'm holding out for the big blue poodle. They said it was on the road here. It's just a matter of time, I can't miss it. I think what Wilcox is asking is this, He's asking, what if I miss what I'm here on the planet to do? What if I miss what I'm here on this planet to do? Okay? What if I miss what's true and human and good? Things like falling in love. What happens if I miss that? And Wilcox continues his sort of um, out loud confessional about his own anxieties. He starts talking about shopping. He compares life to shopping. Okay? And here's his metaphor. In life, if life is like shopping, you go in for one thing, and there's this one thing you really need, right? That's why you go to the store. But then there's the blue light specials. And you just get confused, you get distracted. You're just human being, and you wind up with this armload of shiny junk. And then you're checking out. Checking out of life. And suddenly, <laughs> you remember... And suddenly you remember, oh, there's that one thing I came in for. Oh no, I forgot it. I've just got armloads of all this junk. Oh no. And then the voice of death comes over the over the, the like over the intercom of Walmart and says, Too late, David, you're in the express line. That's what his fear is. And again, Wilcox is wrestling something deep. What if I'm missing the one thing I'm alive to do? What if I'm missing the one thing I'm alive to do? What if I spend my life accumulating junk when I came here to do one thing? And to get one thing? And the question behind all of his questions is this. What is that one thing I came into life for? What am I supposed to be doing again? Well, maybe David Wilcox's midlife crisis is not yours. Okay, after all, you're far from midlife, right? But the beginning of the fall semester is a good time to ask a few good questions, right? What am I here on this planet to do? What are we here on this planet to do? What is the one thing we came into life for? What are we here on this planet to do, and what is the one thing we came into life for? Not only are these good questions to ask, but I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess. I'm going to swing for the fences. That this question is our question. Maybe in very different words. Okay, maybe we don't use shopping metaphors and directions to come discuss this question. Okay, this question is probably was probably not throbbing at the forefront of your mind when you were walking around campus today. Okay, um, but chances are it came up a few times this summer. Maybe you were at your really really boring desk job that was extremely over air conditioned and you were cold and tired and you thought, what am I doing here? Or maybe you woke up again right just in time to catch lunch. And you said, what am I doing with my summer? And they may have surfaced even recently when you laid your money down, all that money that you worked so hard over the summer to earn, or, uh, and you laid it down, and you signed up for a semester's worth of classes, maybe for the first time, maybe for the ninth time. Okay? And you thought, why am I spending all this money? Or maybe it was your well-meaning aunt. 
okay, or ant, however you pronounce that, because I'm from a billion different places in the United States. So, what, what, maybe it was your woman Ian, and she asked you, what do you plan to do with your degree, or what are your graduation plans, even if you're a freshman, that's scary. But my best guess is that these questions are guiding our feet all over campus, whether we know that or not. And even maybe somehow they're guiding our feet into this very room, into this very moment, right here and right now. That's the reason that we're here. And these questions about life, about this planet, put us directly, put our feet directly in the sandals of Moses in our passage. You see, in our passage, Moses was out there in the desert trying to avoid a sunburn and to guide a few sheep to some scrub brush that wasn't all that tasty. And my guess is that he wasn't consciously thinking about the meaning of life. Okay, that's not what he was doing. He wasn't contemplating the heavens. Okay? But at the same time, it's hard, it would be, it's hard for me to imagine that Moses was not somehow thinking, how did I end up here doing this? How did I go from the courts of Pharaoh, from the royalty of Egypt, from the most powerful place in all of the known world, to cleaning up sheep poo? How did that happen? Where, why am I here? And this questioning of our lives is exactly what I'm getting at. That's what, exactly what we're talking about. Okay? Maybe, just maybe, something is missing in our lives that we can't even name. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, God shows up and answers our questions. And he answers them starting with Moses and out into us, into the audience, into our lives. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 15, tells us why, are we, why we are here on this planet. This passage tells us the one thing we came into life for. In our passage tonight, God does not answer our questions with a little bit of self-help or a big-time pep talk, complete with pom-poms. Instead, God answers who we are and why we are here with what? Himself. His presence. And who God is not only meets us where we are, who God is changes us. In other words, let me summarize the heart of this passage, what we'll be discussing for the next few minutes. And this is really, I'm just going to summarize it in one sentence. Believing in God and who God really is transforms who we really are. It's really that simple, okay? Believing in who God really is transforms who we really are. So Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, the story of Moses' transformational encounter with God can really just unfold or break into two different parts, two different pieces, okay? You've got verses 1 through 5, and there we're told who we really are. And then verses 6 through 15, we're told who God really is, okay? Pretty simple, right? Verses 1 through 5, who God, who we really are, verses 6 through 15, uh, who God really is. Okay? Let's look first at the very beginning at verses 1 through 5, who we really are. Okay? So let's look at verses 1 through 5. Okay? In order to understand this passage uh, and what it tells us about who we really are, we have to understand what this passage tells us about who Moses really is. Okay? Who is Moses really? Who is this Moses that we're reading about in Exodus? Well, let me answer this question by saying something controversial but true. Ready? Controversial but true. Okay? And it's this. When we read stories like this in the Bible, we don't really read them. When we read stories like this in the Bible, we don't really read them. Okay, here's what I mean. Yes, 
Our eyes passed over the words, and we heard, we heard them out loud to some degree or another. Okay? But we weren't actually picturing Moses in his actual situation, his real circumstances. Whether this was your first time hearing this story or your hundredth time hearing, hearing this story, it's almost worse if it's your hundredth time. Okay? We struggle to really picture Moses and imagine his life. We heard just now, when I just read this passage, what we expected to hear. That's exactly what happened for all of us, including me. We heard this. Moses is a big deal guy. Okay? Whose life is heroic, and he does what's right. Therefore, be more like Moses. That's what we heard, because that's what we've heard our entire lives, inside and outside of the church. Whether you've been in the church for your whole life, or whether you've never been in the church your entire life. That's what you've heard. Be more like Moses. All of us, whether we grew up in the church or not, have this picture of Moses, right? He's strong, he's got a nice beard and a staff, he's a leader, we should follow leaders, be more like Moses. Okay? That's the punchline. Okay? And this image has been reinforced over time by Sunday school or old movies with Charlton Heston, whoever that is, and illustrations, like color illustrations in hardcover books that we don't really read. So, but let me give you some background to who this Moses the sheep really is, okay? So that we can get past our sort of thing that we expect him to be. He was certainly an orphan raised in the king of Egypt's courts, okay? He definitely was that. But one day he, find out, he finds out the truth. He's actually a Hebrew and not an Egyptian. That is, he's, he's a poor Israelite and not a rich Egyptian. And this wrecks him. Okay? Wrecks him. It is an identity crisis to the extreme. And in that midst of that identity crisis, he kills an Egyptian, then tries to bury the evidence in the sand and cover over his sin. Okay? And then the next day he kind of shows up and tries to hang out with the Hebrews like a Hebrew. And his big secret is outed, right? He comes, that his secret comes out of the closet. And he runs away scared from Egypt and goes and hides in the desert. And there he marries a foreign woman, a woman who's neither Hebrew nor Egyptian, and takes over her family business. That is sheep. Okay? And this is hard, sweaty, and stinky work, especially in the desert where there's not much vegetation. So with all this background in place, let me leave the finishing touches to a poet-theologian I love named Frederick Buechner. In an essay called Hope, Buechner describes Moses in front of the burning bush. And this is what it looks like. Moses, the stranger in exile, stood there with the muck of sheep on his shoes, guilty as hell of a man's murder, and listened and answered, Here I am, he said, waiting for God only knows what will happen next. What lightning bolt would come through the sky and strike him on fire himself, just like it struck the, bur the bush on fire? Because with death on his conscience, he had fled for his life. For no motive holier than to save his own skin. That's Moses. That's who Moses is in this passage right here, with Jethro's sheep. And just like Moses, we're a lot worse off than we think we are. Sure, you didn't kill somebody. Okay, I'm guessing. <laughs> but fair guess. Oh, okay, flee. We and you didn't flee from the country. You're still here. Okay, that's a good guess. But there are plenty of thoughts and words and acts that you and I just wish we could cover over sand. 
We could just bury the sands of Egypt. And there are many shameful things in our lives that if someone confronted us with them, that we would run and hide. Far and hide as deep as we could. Whether these things are addictions, we won't call by that name because every morning we swear that we're over it. Or maybe it's the subtler failures, the subtler, smaller deceits and hypocrisies that we use, according to Bigner, to withhold love from other people. The very love that we all need to make life worth living. And the temptation that we're all feeling, even right now, is to airbrush reality, right? To wipe our failures out of sight. The way that magazines wipe out acne on their cover girl's face, or the cellulite that is the extra skin on their thighs. Okay? That's our temptation. And that's what most of us do most of the time with ourselves, and here's my argument, even with Moses. That's why our image of Moses is the way it is. Because we have to look at ourselves if we look at Moses that way. Look, just below us, there's a cafeteria called Taos. Okay? Now, Taos was supposed to be done before school started. And guess what? It's not. Okay? And I'm, I'm, kind, you have to, I'm going to probably already ask forgiveness for this anyway. They kicked us out of our room. We were supposed to be in the underground. Okay, I'm just getting out on the floor. I'm not mad at Taos. It's just the way it is. Okay. So, anyway... Here's the question. Do you know, do you know so they have this whole problem, right? They, they, they're not on time. And what do they put? They just make this giant banner. What does it say? Some, Some things are worth the wait. Right? Okay? Is that the banner that we're hanging over our lives? Is that what we're doing to our sin, to the failures that we have? Are we hanging a banner over our lives that says, Some things are worth the wait? Or are we going to apologize? Are we going to own who we are and say, I'm a mess in progress? Okay? I'm a mess in progress. I'm not picking on Taos or Sodexo. All I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all I'm saying, I'm just trying to push us. I'm trying to push you and I'm trying to push me into this refreshing honesty and a world of public relations spin. Okay? I'm so tired of living under a banner that says some things are worth the wait. I want to live under a banner that says I'm a mess. And I'm not even sure I'm working on it well. <laughs> the reason at this moment these ideas are a little bit awkward, a little bit uncomfortable, maybe maybe very uncomfortable for us, is that there's a kind, this kind of radical honesty requires help outside of ourselves. We cannot self-help ourselves out of this honesty about ourselves. Because look, we're saying we're taking a square look at sin. If we look squarely at what the Bible calls sin, those deceits, those failures, those hypocrisies, those addictions that we have, if we take a square look at that and we name that as what it is, we can only see squarely our need for help. We can only see squarely our need for rescue. We can only see squarely our need for what the Bible calls redemption. And that's what this passage is all about. And this is why Moses stopped dead in his tracks at the burning bush. Okay? Look, Moses is not just some sort of amateur physicist. Like, ooh, how is it burning and not consuming? Okay? That's not the whole point of that. He's not some sort of like pyromaniac firebug. Like, oh, fire, like Beavis and Butthead or something. Like, he's not those things. Moses knows he needs help, and he hears a voice in a fire calling out to him, 
who knows his name and promises rescue and redemption. And that stops Moses dead in his tracks. And here are a few questions as I transition to my next point about who God really is for all of us. Do you, do I, recognize that we need outside help, that we need rescuing? Will we listen even now as God calls us by name and speaks to us, not in a burning bush, but in his scriptures? Those are hard but good questions to ask ourselves at the beginning of the semester. And verses, let's look at verses 6 through 15. They depict what God really is. Who God really is in light of who we really are. And what do verses 6 through 15 tell us about God? They show us that he's a rescuer. That he rescues. Okay? And they show us that God's a rescuer in two distinct ways. First, God is a coming to, has coming to us compassion. He is coming to us compassion. Second, he has transformational power. Okay, so coming to us, compassion and transformational power. Verses 6 through 9 tell us about God's compassion. So look with me at verses 6 through 9. Look at verse 6. There God reminds Moses that he's faithful throughout generations of people. Look, God isn't the pet project of one historical person. That's what that passage is talking about. But then look at verses 7 through 9. There God gives us this amazing picture. The God of everything. The creator of the heavens and earth, the sustainer of the heavens and earth, that God, that very divine being, who is concerned at the subatomic particle level, okay, and also at the interstellar level of maintaining, fine-tuning a perfect balance, that same God that holds everything together, he looks down and he notices the oppression of his people. It's very hard to hold both of those in our heads at once. The same God who does all of those things, is that big and that glorious, is also the God that's that personal. He feels on his back the, each and every blow of the corded whip of the Egyptians on the backs of his people. God stores up and considers in his heart the cries of frustration that his people have when they're trying to make bricks that don't hold because they can't use straw. Do you realize, do I realize that this is a God who is well acquainted with our sufferings? God agonizes over our private frustrations. Those frustrations that feel so petty and so small that we don't even talk about them. The small and daily social rejections that we face. The classroom boredom. And God also sees and he hears the major outrages as well. Those unspeakable things. Those unspeakable times when we feel like we've lost a piece of ourselves. Our use, our abuse, our scrapes with poverty, our hopelessness. But notice, God doesn't just give us a good listening ear. He's not just a good talk therapist. Okay? He comes down to dwell with us, and we see this in the burning bush. It's amazing. In the words of one commentator, the eternal one lowers himself into a bush amid the dirt and the rocks. He is present among the goats and the sheep with the dung hanging off their tails. Do you get how amazing that is that a God that big and that large and that powerful would bend the heavens and hunker down with us and tell us, I am here. 
I am here with you. I am here for you. Like he says in verse 11 to Moses, when Moses says, how can I possibly do this? Verses 13 through 15 tell us another thing. The last thing we need to know about God. God's power. Okay? Look, in these verses, God asks, or Moses asks God's name. In the ancient Near East, the culture that this was written in, when someone asks your name, what they're asking is like, what are you all about? They're not sort of saying, what do I call you necessarily? They're actually saying, what's your nature? What are you all about? Okay? How would you describe yourself? What's your identity? And so God answers Moses with a name that describes his nature. Literally in the original Hebrew, the name is Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay? And it means... I am who I am. I am who I am. And you see this over and over again in the scripture, because no longer does the the scripture tell you, say, I am. From now on it says the Lord. You see this in verse 15. There's something like the the, the word Yahweh is used in in the Old Testament over 7,000 times. Okay? It's a lot of times. And God in verse, so basically let me put it this way. God in verse 14 is saying, call me I am. Because I am self-existent and self-sufficient. Call me I am because I'm self-existent and self-sufficient. What does that mean? God is this. God is a being who has no remote dependence. He doesn't depend on anything. God has power without limits, without even a hint of limits. And God has love without even a touch, a whisper of self-absorption. And God's set-apart otherness, his pure holiness, has the power to save us. To save us from our dependencies. To save us from our limits. To save us from our self-absorption. Do you see that? God's nature isn't some cool, like, natural phenomenon. Like, oh, cool, it's a solar eclipse. Awesome. No, that's not necessarily just what it's about. God's nature has a transformational purpose. He means to change us, those of us who believe in him, for the better. That's his goal. Let's look again at the burning bush. Okay? God inhabits a weed, let's be honest. Okay? It's a weed. And not only that, but he, he makes the ground around it, the dung and the dirt around this weed, holy. So holy that Moses has to take off his shoes and cover his head, cover his face. He can't even look at the dung and the dirt after God's through with it. Do you get that? That's holy. <laughs> Trust me. Okay? I know some of you are thinking about like cosmic janitors at this point. Maybe that's just me. But that's, that's not where I'm going. Okay? So, basically, do you understand that the power of God's holiness is a purifying fire? It's a purifying fire. Look, God didn't choose an image like a beanie baby. Okay? He didn't choose a snuggie. That's not what he came down as. He came down as a fire. A consuming fire. A purifying fire that not only warms us, but changes us. Okay? It changes us and Moses and everything else it touches, even dung and dirt. And through his holy being, he melts us. He forms us. He reshapes us. And you know what he says in the midst of that? I am eternal. I'm eternal. Verse 14. And do you know where God's compassion and his power hold together? Do you know how God, who is so holy, comes down to make us better? Do you know where that is? Do you know where those things hold together? Do you know how that happens? The answer is Jesus. Do you get that? 
Just look at John, look at, think about the passage that Tyrell read earlier, John chapter 8, verse 58. What does Jesus say? This is, the best, this is one of the best verses in Scripture. Okay? After you study Exodus 3, you can sit back and enjoy this verse for many days. Okay? Sleep on it. Think about it in class. Meditate on it. Okay, anyway. Chapter 8, verse 58 says this. Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, it's not like some sort of weird like math time travel problem. Is that what God's doing there? No. No. How do we know this? Because the Jews in the audience lifted up stones to kill him. Why? Because that's blasphemy. Do you know what God was saying? What Jesus was saying? I'm God. I'm I am. I'm Yahweh. Okay? I'm Yahweh. I have all of the power and all of the holiness of Yahweh. Yet at the same time, the same Jesus who claims all of this power and all of this authority and all of this holiness, the same Jesus shows God's compassion. Okay? There he is in Jerusalem, a stranger in an exile. There he is in Jerusalem, standing with the muck of sheep on his shoes. Jesus fled from heaven to earth for our lives, for the holy motive of saving our skins. He who knew no sin or guilt, who had no death on his conscience, died. So that people like Moses, and people like you, and people like me, might be set free for once and forevermore. We might be made right and whole again. Jesus the I Am died on a cross and was raised from the dead. So that the final word of who we are is not sin, (coughs) is not need, is not in too deep. Jesus was crucified for those who believe, so that we might be part of God's plan of setting the captives free. Do you get that? So that we, like Moses, might participate in the rescue of our our fellow friends, of our fellow family, of our fellow strangers, people we don't know at all. A physical and a spiritual rescue, by the way, is very important as well. So that we might bring them out of that land and up and out into a land that is broad and good, a land flowing with milk and honey, like verse 10 describes, so that we might be set free forever and ever. Do you get this? Do you get this vision? That, this right here, is what we were put on the planet to do. This, that, setting the captives free, being set free ourselves, is the one thing that we all came into life for, that we're so easily forget. Look, I started our time together with a, a singer-songwriter, David Wilcox. Let me end with another one. His name is Bono. Okay. <laughs> it's obligatory for the college minister to quote you too, especially if he's older like I am. So here we go. I'm filling my obligations well. Okay. Look, I'd like to speak this song the way I think it was meant to be spoken. Um, meant to be understood. I'm further defining what it means to set the captives free, for sure. Okay? This is, and I think also further, what Bono's talking about is it's a prayer. It's a heartfelt prayer. Okay? And the song, of course, is Yahweh. Okay? 
referencing, I think, certainly Exodus 3. Okay? So we're going to actually end with this. I'm going to close using this prayer, and then, um, and then we'll have some music and we'll be through. So would you, would you bow your heads and pray with me again? Yahweh, take these shoes, click clacking down some dead-end street. Take these shoes and make them fit. Yahweh, take this shirt, polyester white trash made in nowhere. Take this shirt and make it clean. Take this soul, stir it in some skin and bones. Take this soul and make it sing. Yahweh, Yahweh. Always pain before a child is born. Yahweh, Yahweh, still I'm waiting for the dawn. Take these hands, teach them what to carry. Take these hands, don't make them into a fist. Take this mouth, so quick to criticize. Take this mouth and give it a kiss. Yahweh, Yahweh, always pain before a child is born. Yahweh, tell me now, why the dark before the dawn? Yahweh, take this heart, take our hearts, take this heart and make it brave. In Jesus' name we pray.